You've got courage to lead. Courage to lead. Be brave and be bold. Welcome to the Courage to Leap and Lead podcast, where each of our guests share the stories of courage that helped them become powerful leaders. Before we start today's show, please remember to visit courageconsulting.com, where you can find all of the episodes and lots of other excellent resources. That's courageconsulting.com. Now, here's your host, Leadership Courage Coach, C.B. Bowman. Even take it in terms of, you know, your childhood how that makes you into your adulthood yeah. as a massive system. Yeah. Right? yeah. And, um, you know, people say, well, what's the difference? Here's one for you. With people who have had the same background and one turns out bad and one turns out good. Same background. But listening to you guys, there was something in the system that triggered a difference. Yeah, yeah from the from us again from a scientific sort of system standpoint, people are made up of kind of two things: their gene type, their their genes, and their and then their life experience or phenotype. And um, and so when you say two people had the exact same experience, that's just not what happened, right? <laughs> either either you could take two twins. And so they have the same genotype and maybe they had the exact same experiences. And usually in those cases, they, they turn out very similar. Um, but when we separate twins at birth, for example, we can get very different outcomes because they are exposed to very different uh, phenotypical things, meaning in environment experience. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so, you know, it's just not a, it's not very accurate to say, oh, just because they grew up in the same neighborhood or they grew up on the same street that they had the same experience. Or even in the same house. Or even in the same house. I mean, you know, you could have had a, a single discussion with a single person, you're a PE coach or a teacher or somebody outside the house. Uh, and that discussion at the right moment when you're ready to hear it could change your whole life in terms of the direction that it takes you. Whereas the, your twin might not have had that discussion, for example. And, um, you know, so I would be very careful about saying that, you know, two people are exactly the same. Because yeah, yeah, but we hear it all the time, right? It and it stuns, it stuns people about, well, why did they change? What, why was there such a difference? You know, because and, and we don't see it. Yeah. Exactly. So yes. now, going back to the your process, are there steps? So we want to improve our ability to use systems thinking in our lives. Yeah. Can you identify the steps that we would need to take for each yes. set of, help me out here, each set of happenings? <laughs> well to get better at it yeah. yeah i mean this is sort of the crux of um derek's originating research and then the stuff that we've been working on subsequently as colleagues and academics but really there's there are four things that you can do 
in every moment when you're thinking about anything that will automatically make you more systemic in the way you're thinking about things. So one of the things is to challenge the, the way that we're distinguishing things, the boundary between what we think something is and maybe what it isn't, right? So, you know, and that could be for anything, you know, like how do we define courage? Well, that's a distinction. Like, what do we think of as courage? How does it differ from micro courage? Like that's a distinction we're making. So you wanna make sure that you're paying attention to the boundaries you're drawing and, and where your concepts begin and end. And then we also always wanna think about, you know, understand concepts better by looking at their their parts, right? So we distinguish things, we break them down into their parts, like there are parts to micro courage that are different from macro courage, right? We wanna think about and always ask ourselves how things we're thinking about could be related. If they are related, we wanna really dive into those relationships as deeply as we do the things that we're relating, right? So for example, if I'm looking at uh, micro courage and systems thinking, and I'm supposing that there's a relationship between them, then I wanna name that relationship. I wanna think about what are the parts of how they're related? Well, we've identified some, right? Self-awareness is what happens through systems thinking, which is actually requires some amount of micro courage to challenge yourself. So we wanna sort of think about it that way. And then the last thing we talk a lot about is Wait, I have two. Um, challenge the way we think. Yeah. Identify how they're related, how parts are related. Number three. So the first one is just how are we distinguishing things? How are we naming them, thinking about them? How do we? We, we call that distinction making. Yeah. Or distinctions. The second thing is thinking about how things are organized and connected and in you know exist in part whole systems. So that's and, that we call that systems parts whole. The third thing is relationships. Are there relationships that we're not seeing or, you know, relationships that are very important for us to make to understand whatever it is we're thinking about? Mm -hmm. So it's distinction system relationship. And the final thing is perspectives, right? Challenging our own perspectives on things, looking for other perspectives on things, not just our own, to understand things more deeply, taking multiple perspectives on the things we're thinking about. Mm -hmm. um, just like, you know, when you're trying to have a different experience with a colonoscopy or a dentist, well, you get more other people's perspectives on that. You look at dentistry from a different perspective, not just, for example, functionality, but like, how does it make you feel? Well, that's a perspective. If I'm fearful, then I have to go and I have to deal with that. I have to reconcile that. So it's really thinking about the distinctions we're making, looking at part whole systems, how things are organized relating things when we can, understanding relationships as deeply as we do the things themselves. And just as a way to remember that, we call that DSRP. Yeah. So it's distinctions, systems, relationships, and perspectives. And here's the thing. If you are constantly doing those four things I just listed, sort of at the micro, as you're thinking about things, over time, you are becoming a system, system thinker. thinker. You are thinking systemically. So, um, Laura, explain to me the relationships, because if if we're looking at relationships that we're not seeing, how do we get to see them? That's a good question. That's a great question. So, what we can what we can do is we we know that 
anytime I'm sort of thinking about something, I'm sort of building a mental model about it. Just like you built a mental model about your medical procedure, right? And so I can think about all the parts of that procedure, right? I can list out all the parts of that procedure, but then I need to know and I need to challenge myself to say, well, how are these things related as a process, right? So those parts happen in an order. So those are relationships between them based on sequence. And then I need to think about how is my understanding of this process related to my fear, right? So it's just supposing it's, it's, it's understanding that there's always the potential for things to have relationships that I'm not seeing, knowing that there are webs of causality that I'm not always looking for just these A to B leads to C kind of relationships, but that there's a web of stuff coming together that's causing me to think something and, and sort of breaking it down in that way and thinking about it a little more deeply, right? Like the relationship between you and me. Yeah. Oh, do tell. <laughs> you put a little box in between us. It's made of lots of stuff, right? And yes. so understand that then you understand the system that is Derek and Laura better because you know Derek you know Laura and you see how they relate you know gotcha gotcha and it's clear to me throughout emails that you're very protective of Derek <laughs> me I'm just a mama bear of everybody I'm protective yeah okay <laughs> we'll go with that <laughs> that's probably why you've been married for so long you're changing my mental model that's good Yes. Okay. So is it hard for us in everyday life and everything we do to think about DSRP or should we just use that for the big things that we're faced with? That's a great question. Actually, um, you know, I'm always afraid when people say that's a great question, they're really saying that's a stupid question. Oh, no, that's, <laughs> really good that's question. actually, I, I don't say that when it's not a great question. It, <laughs> <laughs> it is actually a really important question because yeah. this these DSRP patterns, distinction systems, relationships, and perspectives are actually the way that our brain works naturally. So you're, you've been making distinctions since you were a baby. You've been organizing things into part holes since you were a baby. You've been relating things since you were a baby and you've been taking perspectives since you were a baby, all of us. Mm -hmm. the, the key to systems thinking is realizing, being aware that that's what we're doing. Yeah. So the way that I think of it is you don't really get to choose whether you do DSRP all the time. Oh. What you get to choose is whether you're aware of yeah. what you're doing, mm -hmm. because you're going to be doing it no matter what. You are doing it. You are doing it all the time. And you and 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 because of that, it applies. Like our book is the subtitle is uh, "Everyday and Wicked Problems." So I can, you know, I'm systems thinking about how I feed three hungry dogs all at the same time in my kitchen. I'm systems thinking about, you know, the next big research project I'm doing with graduate students that has full funding. You know, all of those things are systems, and and you know, I'm I'm thinking about and challenging how how I organize the system of feeding my dog in steps. I'm thinking about how I organize my research, you know, in certain ways, it's all there. Or even how to increase in micro moments, yeah. micro courage. Exactly. Right? Like you wait, can- Wait, Laura, did you say 300 dogs? Th three hungry. Three, three hungry, hungry dogs. dogs. Oh, I was like, well, okay, wait, okay, I got it. 
<laughs> That's a different mental model. Three hundred. Exactly. My mind went to what? <laughs> I can't handle two. <laughs> Dogs. I can't imagine 300 dogs and I don't want them. No. <laughs> okay, so go. Yeah. <laughs> so this awareness. Okay, I'm, I'm buying this. Now, let me throw in an element. The fear. Yeah. The fear, fear closes. It's my theory that fear closes awareness down. Yes. So what you need to do with any emotion, including fear, is um, is understand that there's a mental model that precedes the emotion. Mm -hmm. So in other words, if you're afraid, there's some subconscious mental model that, it, that you believe is true that causes the fear. Mm -hmm. And what you need to do is say to yourself, what is that mental model I'm having? And is it in alignment with reality? Because it, it might be a very justified fear. Fear is very important. You don't want to ignore fear. Mm -hmm. If it's a justified fear, and if it's in alignment with the real situation that you're in, then fear is a warning for yourself, right? Okay. But, if, but if it's out of alignment with reality, then it's an unjustified fear that's prohibitive. That's prohibiting you from doing something that you really need to do like a micro courage or something like that. And then you can use the DSRP. Yeah, so you wanna say, well, what is the, what are the distinctions I'm making that's leading to the fear? Uh, I'm in danger or it's gonna hurt. Those are distinctions. Well, is it going to hurt? Just question the distinction. Will it hurt? Does it have to hurt? Does like, dentistry have to. have to hurt? Does it hurt everybody or does it just hurt me? Does it hurt all my teeth or just these teeth? You know, those are distinctions that I'm making. So that's an example because that's what's producing the fear. The fear is I'm going to go and it's going to hurt and I don't want it to hurt. Yeah. And we often entangle what we think with what we feel, right? Yes. So they're separate. You know, there's a thought. That thought is what causes that emotion. So you can't actually just turn off your emotions, but you can change your thoughts the thoughts that are leading to that emotion. So that's where you want to, like I call the unit of analysis, the place you need to focus is what is the mental model that is making me terrified to go and have my colonoscopy? What are the things I'm thinking that are causing me to feel this? And then challenge those thoughts. And they might not always be thoughts that are like right in the front of your mind. They might be kind of subconscious. So when you have fear, you just assume that there's a mental model behind it. What it what is causing the fear? What's leading to the fear? Okay, let's take this broader and, yeah. and make it contemporary, sadly contemporary. Yeah. Shootings in schools. Yes. We can look at this as to what's causing the uprise. And then there is the fear. I would have incredible fear of sending my child to school these days. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I would want to homeschool them. But then I would have the realization that homeschooling may not provide them with the social interactions that they need yes. to mature. How do we break all that down using systems thinking? Yeah. Yeah. So the the fear is the fear is based on a mental model. The mental model is that this is happening 
you know, when we see it on the TV, it's happening more and more. And there's no doubt that it's happening more and more. Um, but uh, specifically to the fear that you're talking about, about sending your child or not sending your child, I think you would have to take different perspectives. So yes, there is the one perspective, which is happening more and more, but there's another perspective, which is the, the statistical probability that it's going to happen to your child is still extremely low, right? So you don't, you want to balance those two things together. Um, and and then you would have to do a risk kind of cost benefit analysis like you were kind of starting to do of, well, if the risk is very low and maybe there's things I can do to, you know, make it even lower. And uh, at the same time, they're not going to lose the social aspect of school and the promoting aspect of school and things like that. So, um, you know, that's a that's a difficult problem. And, you know, the same systems thinking, we're spending the whole year looking at the research on how to solve that actual problem so that we can bring down school shootings. And one of the things that we see in the research is that it's it's not a single cause. It's a web of causality. And the problem is we don't really have the political will to think in a systemic way. We just want to one side wants to say it's one thing and one thing only. The other side wants to say it's one thing and one thing only. And really, it's a bunch of things that are coalescing what we call in systems in the systems field a web of causality. Yeah, there's a bunch of things that are coalescing to create this this epidemic of shootings that we have. And if we don't deal with all those different webs of causality, then we probably aren't going to solve that problem. Right. So when you look at a web, there is a center point. There is a bullet hole. In a spider's web, but not in a like a network web. Ah, They're, okay. That not all webs are not all not all webs are like spider webs. A bunch of webs can be decentralized. And most natural systems are decentralized. They're not centralized. Um, just like the internet is not centralized. It's a decentralized web. But you're right that the one we're most familiar with is the spider web, and it seems like everything's going to the center. So if it's decentralized, how can you solve it as one problem? Or can you? You can solve it as one problem, but you have to solve multiple causes. You You have to create policy or change at the micro level, believe it or not, yeah. this is where micro and macro, these school shootings are macro scale phenomena. They're, they're what's in science called emergent properties. They're emerging out of the system and they're emerging as a result of many, many, many micro choices on the ground that have to do with not just the micro choices of the shooter, but the micro choices of the community, the micro choices of people with or without guns, the micro choices of the the geography and all the different things that are going on. And if you don't solve, um, there's a great project called the Violence Project that's actually done kind of systemic research on this. And they have, uh, I forget how many, about 21. 21 recommendations. 21 recommendations uh, for how to solve this. And they really cut across the spectrum in terms of, how to systemically think about and solve 
the issue of school shootings. But but the thing about it is there's 20, so I don't want it to, I don't want people to be listening to this and think, oh, it's too many things. It's not solvable because you have to do 21 different things. That's not, that's no. not the case. The case is you have to, first of all, you have to challenge this um, predisposition to binary thinking that it's only one thing, like get rid of the guns or like people are saying guns or mental health. Well, it's gu it's guns and mental health to a degree of both. It's not an extreme on either. It's not end. either or, it's and yeah. both. Right. And so when we say webs of causality, it's, it's more like figuring out a set of things combined that will have the biggest effect, right? A multi-pronged approach, but not not untenably like 21 things have to all happen. You know, it's just being a little bit less. Um, it's sort of like maybe take the top three and. Yeah. yeah and, and work together, get them to work together. The relationship. Well, not everybody has to do the same thing. So these 21 things are spread across society. Not everybody has to do all right. 21. Certain places at the federal level have to do three or four of them. And then local level has to do three or four of them. And then state level has to do three or four of them. So it's not like every single person has to do 21 things. No. Um, so, so let me ask you, I guess this might be a political question. So many moms, let's just take the United States, so many moms, and I don't want to leave out the dads, <laughs> are concerned about the well-being of their children. How come there is not a stronger push the, like the violence projects why are we not just getting this done because we don't we've lost touch with the power of science and we and uh and and we don't follow the science i, th I think it's that and it's gotten manipulated politically the, the whole yeah. thing on science covid kind of changed things with the way we don't trust science we, you know the way we don't trust science and but i mean the science that got us to the moon the science that made us you know, what we are in the industrial revolution and all those kinds of things, that science exists. Um, but we just, we've gotten into this very opinionated, political, bipartisan, binary uh, But I think it's also, way of thinking. I think it's a mismatch. I think it's a mismatch between like, yeah, sure. We're, we're speaking and we, we have these big systemic problems that are webs of causality, but you're trying to solve them in a system that doesn't see them that way, right? The, the system that sees them as binary, the system that that in, in many ways benefits by, by causing us to think or trying to cause us to think that way. And it's, it's more about changing that sort of the way that we think about them uh, to really have an effect rather than you know, I also think a lot of people, I mean, my opinion, this is just my opinion, is I think a lot of people have felt, um, I don't want to say powerless, but the power of one has been sort of mitigated, I think. Yes, I totally agree. Right. Yeah. And, and and the truth is, there's enough of us, right? There's enough of us on this on this planet in this country that probably share our views, but the system is set up to highlight the two ends and highlight the extremes rather than find the commonalities with which we would have the majority and be able to move forward so i think it's it's it, ironically it's a paradigm or a mental model shift that we need to start with right to, to really get some some footing into it i mean and we've got a great group of really sharp graduate students this year who are working on um violence mass killings as 
you know, because we always choose what, what is perceived to be an intractable and really urgent issue to work on. And we take all of our tools of systems thinking and just really get into it. And we're going to try to interview the guys and the, actually the researchers from the violence project. But the problem isn't that we don't know what to do. Right. That's the most important we part. The problem we do, we collectively know what to do. Mm -hmm. The problem is that we collectively don't have a mental model that we know what to do. Yeah, like I the data is very clear. Yeah. If you if you if you follow the data and you follow the science, it tells you what to do. And the Violence Project has done a great job of figuring that out. Yeah. What to do, but we don't think that anyone knows what to do, and so. One group says we need to do this one thing. And another group says we need to do this one thing. And then those two groups make a lot of hay out of bashing heads with each other. And then nothing else gets accomplished in terms of and everybody us changing our mental model to say, you know what? We actually do know what to do. The question is not, do we know what to do? The question is, do we have the will to do it? Mm -hmm. Is there a system out there that could make all of the thinking cohesive, collaborative, and correct. <laughs> but what I don't know what correct is, but so that it supports solve, I know what correct is, solving the problem. Yeah, solving yeah. the problem. Aligning with the reality of that's a that's a very complex question, but but I'll give it a shot. I, I think that we are moving there's a thing in, in systems that is called a phase transition. <laughs> a phase transition is literally when, like you, you know about phase transition, so yeah. don't, don't be afraid of it. When, when water turns into steam, the in-between is the phase transition as it transitions into being steam or when it transitions into being ice. So we're all very familiar with phase transitions, but during phase transitions, things are very chaotic yes. because the molecules are doing lots of different stuff. They're usually dancing faster or dancing slower or something like that. And I think we are in an informational phase transition. We are moving from a culture that got all of its information from three sources once a night mm -hmm. to a culture that gets its information from a billion sources 24 seven. And we're in a phase transition where it's not entirely clear where valid, good, reliable information is gonna come from. And, yes. and I think we will figure it out, Yeah, but it's going to be chaotic while we transition. And we will figure it out because humans need valid information. They, they, we can't survive in this world where nothing makes any sense and nothing is valid. and facts yeah. you know facts are crazy and they don't exist and like that's not none of us want to live in that world where there are no facts so we and i think we're in the process of figuring it out but it's a very difficult problem and it's very systemic how how long do you think it's going to take us to get through this phase transition I would I would say another eight years. I think it's going to be faster. You think it's going to be faster? I think so, but that's not based on any data other than that. And it's not even wishful thinking. I think that at some point, 
um, like I think four years ago, we thought we were, that was the worst of it. And then two years we thought it was the worst of it and blah, 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 and blah. And I think, you know, actually in a weird way, we have gotten through some of the worst of it. If you look at where we are now and, you know. Well, well yeah, I'm talking about like for the- Wait, 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 wait. I, 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 wanna, I wanna- Yeah, go ahead. I wanna talk to Laura. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, if we take the theory that we've gotten through the worst of it, I wanna challenge that a bit because every time I open the paper. There is a new source of data and people challenging data, challenging data. I mean, just as simple as the phenomenon that happened with Clubhouse, right? Mm -hmm. um, and now it's like buried news. Yeah. Right? The minute they opened it up to everybody, it became buried news. When it was exclusive to Apple users, it was hot. So, right. how do we get through this transition phase? when we're constantly being bombarded with new stuff to yeah. give us news and information. Well, so I would, I would say a couple of things. First of all, I think that people were exhausted and were very frustrated with what you were talking about with the absence of facts and needing some grounding in reality and in facts. So that I think my sense is that people are now taking the onus upon themselves to challenge what their beliefs are as they're being fed to them, right? To, to not just accept things at face value that I think was done previously. I also think that I'm encouraged by, I mean, you know, I'm a, I'm a teaching the public policy school at Cornell. So I'm encouraged by the changes in voter registration. I'm encouraged by the pushback to the proposed amendments to voter rights and things that people, and I'm encouraged by seeing now in different different ways, the, the election results seem to be actually people expressing their own opinion because they're so much more diverse. There's more diversity in how people are voting. Things are not being entirely predicted by polls anymore or past patterns. I think people felt that their own autonomy and their own choices were being threatened in the last however many years you wanna say. It's probably much more than four years. It's probably longer than four years. And I think that we've had sort of a resurgence of in a weird way, agency and self and responsibility for outcomes. I mean, I think that power of one thing yeah. is starting to come back. I, I think COVID did a lot for that because yeah. it gave people time to pause and think you know, yeah. and face mortality and, and all those things that go along with dealing with reality. Well, and I also think COVID <laughs> reminded us that we need each other. Yes. Reminded us that we need to be connected in meaningful ways to other people. We have to figure out a way to coexist. We can't, mm -hmm. we don't want to be isolated. People suffered horribly when they were isolated. And I, I think those things, that's why, I'm sorry, it could be eight years, but I'm hoping that these things that we've suffered through will get some of the lessons faster. Yeah. Well, but, but if you're talking about phase transition, when you come out of that period, does that mean that we're gonna be a bunch of um, robots that all think alike? Mm. No, it just means that you'll have a more stable period. Yeah. You'll have a period where everything isn't unstable. 
Yeah. Right, a phase transition is just that there's a lack of stability. There's there's chaos, and then and then that lack of stability will crystallize into something a little bit more stable. And I think part of the problem is that we've shifted our media to social media. Yeah. And the structure, structurally speaking, I don't mean informationally, but structurally speaking, we haven't actually innovated or discovered a social media structure that will help us validate. Yeah, that's a good And I think we're gonna get better at it because I think there's a huge profit incentive to get better at it because I think everybody needs it so they don't feel crazy all the time. Yes. Right? So somebody's gonna solve that, that structural problem in social media. That's what I'm talking about for eight years. Yeah. Now, this may seem a little uh, off-centered of our conversation, but I, I wanna go back to something that you said about confusion. Um, Cause it's in, it's in, as they used to say, the, the, de the devil's in the detail or something yes, like that. Yes. Uh, when I was in Cuba, uh, I literally had culture shock walking into the stores, Just walking into stores and seeing nothing on shelves. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought that never happened in the United States. <laughs> so I'm so glad to live in the United States. Well, fast forward to COVID. It yeah. happened. I walked into stores and saw nothing on the shelves. I got very confused. Mm -hmm. It was like terra firma. There's no such thing as that anymore. I just, I stood there saying, wait, am, am I still in the United States? That's how violent it hit me. It just threw me back to Cuba. Yeah. Now, fast forward again, Costco, my store. Empty shelves of things. Recently, hmm. I'm like, got really scared and I thought, are we gonna have this Cuba-like experience again? And everybody kept saying, because I have buddies there, it's the warehouse, it's labor, it's, and I understood all that. So I was settling into that, getting used to maybe not seeing my favorite products. Fast forward Christmas. I walked into Costco it was so filled with products, you couldn't even get in the door practically. So now my reality is shaken again. Yeah. So how, I am so confused. How did this happen like this in a New York minute that all of a sudden the problems disappeared? Then it becomes suspicious. <laughs> was, this, was this a whole vendor? trick or something to say we now okay you saved your money you have all your money now to spend for the holidays bye 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 what's where do we go you can't develop a system around that that equals the confusion right that's yeah. right well but you could you could couldn't you say that you could uh you could predict that the system is going to be changing based on a bunch of other factors and understand it in, a, in a, not just your local experience, but in the wider context, right? Wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's a there's an old story about um, there's a guy named Lyle who uh, who was very famous in geology prior to Darwin. And during that period, 
people actually believe before this guy named Lyle, who was a geologist, they believe when they saw something like the Grand Canyon, that in order to form the Grand Canyon, there must have been a huge tidal wave of some kind, right? In other words, big effect, big cause, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Something deep like the Grand Canyon requires a lot of water all at once because it has to be as big. The cause has to be as big. And Lyle came along and said, wait a minute, but what if this just happened incrementally, gradually, just a little bit of water for a long time? Mm-hmm. Not one huge tidal wave, but a little bit of water for a long time, which is actually how the Grand Canyon formed. No way. Wait, no, no. Now you're shaking me again because I believed, (laughs) maybe I'm watching too much of the History Channel or something. I believed it was filled with water. And then, no? Okay. (laughs) No, I I didn't hear. Go ahead and finish. No, and so at some point there was this big shift seismic shift in the earth and then the water went away and we were left with this big deep canyon that has ridges in it we could see ages and all that stuff no no at one time it would have been a flat plateau and then a river cut into the plateau over time yes just kept cutting and cutting and cutting for thousands of years and that's how the grand canyon formed so again when you see these emergent properties, these the, the system, when you see stuff is on the shelves, stuff is not on the shelves, stuff is on the shelves, stuff is not on the shelves. Those are the big effects and they don't always have big causes. Yeah. But we, we our mental model is that there are big causes yes. to the big effects, but, yes. they're, but it's probably more likely that those big effects are the result of hundreds of millions of individual people having mental models and making tiny little decisions about their life. Some of those people run factories, some of those people run trucking outfits, some of those people are buying things or selling things, and they're making little tiny decisions based on what their mental model of the world is. And those decisions are kind of adding up in a, in a statistical heap. Yeah. And the shelves are full, the shelves are not full, the shelves are full, the shelves are not full based on all these little decisions. It's not one massive cause. Mm -mm. Okay, so I don't want to talk to you anymore because then my theories about the pyramids and Stonehenge and they're all going to be, Easter Island are going to be wiped out. (laughs) I'll be out of my little dream world. (laughs) But then you'd be in reality. Uh, I'm not sure I want that reality. (laughs) Oh my gosh. This has been such an amazing conversation. I really appreciate it. I just want to come to your house, sit in the middle of the living room and listen to you guys talk. (laughs) Be a sponge. You'd be welcome. welcome. Anytime. We would love to have you. Oh, thank you. Do you, do you? Do you envision having a podcast at some time? Yes, maybe. We people keep encouraging us to do it, and we've we've resisted, but um, we don't know. We're told that it would be a good thing to do. I'll help you. Really, I will learn so much. What a what a great uh, opportunity! Yeah, she'll help. She'll us. help because uh, you're like yeah. the I would, We would love we would love to get some 
tips on how to do it because that's anytime. Um, anytime. Uh, not our skill set. I'll tell you this: if we do it, you'll have to be our first guest. Yeah. Oh, my pleasure. My yeah. pleasure. It would be awesome. Yeah, I would. I would love that because there's just so much that we don't understand, and we're in a period now of instead of systems thinking, it's that I'm, you know, it's therefore it's that way, it's this way. And it's really getting to the point of exhaustion yes. for people. I'm, I'm watching energy being zapped from people and trying just to figure out basics. Yes. Well, let me give you some basics so that people don't feel exhausted about my micro courage. Um, from neuroscience and cognitive science, what we know is the mind and the body will are incredibly adaptive. They they will adapt to whatever challenge you throw at them. And so if you wake up and you say, I don't think I can do this. If you can find the courage kind of based on what we talked about, overcoming your fears, or I don't even think of it as overcoming your fears, but just deconstructing the mental model that leads to your fears. Yeah. And then just do a little thing, just a little thing. Your mind and your body will adapt to you doing that little challenge. And then you do a little, another one and that your mind and will adapt again. And over time, you will just become bigger and bigger at micro courage. Like you'll get better at micro courage and you'll be able to do more things, bigger things. And um, so I think it really is about the micro. Yes. It, it doesn't have to be a big thing. Yeah. It can be the smallest thing in the whole world. And if you just challenge yourself to do that one thing, um, true. you know, if you're getting up to go to the gym and you, you're like, I don't want to go to the gym, just go, okay, I don't have to go work out. I'm just going to go. I'm just literally going to go to the gym, but I'm not going to work out. And then you get to the gym and that's one little micro curve. And then you go, I'm just going to go walk. And then you walk. Oh, I'm going to now I'm going to live. And then pretty soon you're lifting weights and you're doing all kinds of hits and sits and all this kind of stuff. And, and, um, you know, it works. Yeah. You just gave me the courage to get to the gym. <laughs> yeah. Because what we do is we build up this mental model. I've got to go to the gym. Then I got to do an hour, an hour, yes. and it's going to be painful. And don't do that. Just so I'm just literally going to go literally go to the gym, but I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to get there. And then once you're there, you're like, oh, I'm literally just going to get on the treadmill or the walker or something easy. And then pretty soon you're into it because well, your body takes over. And well, that's also how you think about it. Like, so for example, I always tell myself, well, that's one step bigger than zero. Yeah. Right. Yes. One step more than zero. I've done something that's not nothing. And then that encourages you. And then it builds up, you know, it's like, a lot of it is, you know, our own, how we talk to ourselves and how we think about things, you know, we have to sort of mental models, be our best advocates. Yeah. Cause we're all amazing. 
that's that's just a perfect segue to end because I am now going to take uh, one step more than zero to get to the gym. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> that's all it is. To get to working out, and I need to do that. So I appreciate that so much. <laughs> well, audience. Um, you know, I don't know what to say. I always have the most amazing guest on and they always leave me so much wiser. Some of them destroy my image of the Grand Canyon, but we won't. Speaking <laughs> <laughs> about Jonah and the whales and I had this whole image going on. <laughs> but um, in all seriousness, I am so, so excited that you came on and you know what? It's proven too that scientists and researchers are quite fascinating. <laughs> so, yeah. good. That's, That's a good, good step. If we did something for science, that would, that would be good. We need to communicate more with you guys. The average person meets the scientist. And I think that's the name of your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> meet the scientist. Meet the scientist. Well, yeah. everyone, enjoy the rest of your day whatever you're doing, uh, just keep a smile on your face. And remember, there are systems that solve everything. This is CB, and I will see you next week. Bye now. <laughs>